What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man in the Arena podcast. Today, we have another guest on, but before we get to the guest, just want to make sure that you guys are following us on Primal Baseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L. Follow us on Twitter, Insta, Facebook. We got a lot of content coming out, and we got some new things for you in the future. Also, just started a YouTube, so go check that out as well at Primal Baseball. But now for the guest today, we have Griffin Witta from Code the Throw. If you don't already follow him on Instagram, we're going to give you a time at the end where he can tell you where to find him. He's got some great content, some great knowledge, and and I'm excited to get to this conversation today. So Griffin, I'm going to let you introduce yourself a little bit more. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the kind words. Um, you, you're doing a great job with the primal stuff and I really enjoy the posts and, you know, like the holistic side um, of your, of your training and of your um, content. So yeah, I'm a, just a 20 year old performance coach out of Minnesota. So I train overhead athletes uh, currently. Um, so I played baseball at a junior college in North Iowa area community college went through two bigger injuries and I can get into that a little bit later but yeah I just navigated a lot of injury throughout you know the end of my high school career and into my short college career and then from there I, I decided to take a gap year and really kind of dive into okay how am I moving and um, you know what what do I need to work on the most, whether that was, you know, biomechanics, whether that's my movement capacity, um, mindset limitations, stuff like that. And so really just decided to, you know, completely change who I was as an athlete, because what was happening before was I was having a ton of buildup of stress throughout, whether that was, you know, physical life or, um, you know, mental limitations, mental stress, all these things were kind of manifesting in my, into my life and then taking itself out you know, through injury and through getting hurt. And then I was sidelined. So um, I knew I kind of needed to make needed to make a change. So I started really diving into, you know, human performance, human anatomy, biomechanics, you know, throwing development, um, programming strategies and methods, uh, different training methods, stuff like that. Um, that's also interesting to me. Um, and really kind of developed my own, I guess, viewpoints or opinions, I could say on training and and what I like to implement and integrate within um, my programs and my lifestyle and also my athletes programs and lifestyle. So, um, you know, it's been the last year has been just a complete year of like learning and growth and, and just trying to like figure out kind of what I want to do with my life, especially kind of post baseball. And I don't think baseball is done for me since I'm so young. I my, my arms feeling better than ever now. And I, I definitely want to play again and get back into that game environment. Um, and I think that's so important, especially for coaches, you know, it's like, if I'm going to do this and if I'm going to, you know, preach all these things, I think it's valuable for me to, you know, continue to put myself in environments like that, you know, to get, to get the most knowledge out of it and, um, for my athletes and, um, for, for programming. So, um, yeah, it's just been a wild ride. Um, you know, I'm always just constantly trying to learn and, and grow and connect with other people, especially like you. Um, you know, hopping on here and, and just tr trying to provide some some different perspectives and, and different knowledge within the industry because, you know, everything's changing. And um, I like to always say, you know, you need to question everything no matter what. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much kind of like who I am right now and, and kind of what I'm doing. Um, but, yeah. 
sweet. I really am intrigued by you talking about the stresses like in your life leading to injury. And for, for those who, who don't know, I was also injured in, in the spring. I had an injury that um, didn't take away my season, but I was only able to recover and, and get about eight innings. And, and I definitely was not at, at full health. Um, but similar to Griffin, a lot of the stress came from not, not just like physical stress, what I was putting on my body in the weight room and, and overtraining, but also like the mindset and, and the mentality was not lined up and in alignment with, um, where it needed to be in order to protect me. So I'm, I'm really curious on, you know, your thoughts of having, having kind of everything blend together where you're, you're your mindset on the mound and like being stressed, say there's a situation where you're on the mound and, and stressed, how can that get you in? Like, how can that mental stress or the, the physical stress off the field, you know, lead to, to injury, um, similar to kind of your, your personal journey with injuries? Yeah. So I like to think of like, I mean, everything's pretty much stimulus, everything's stress, right? So, you got your physical stress, then you have your mental stress. Um, you know, you'll have your relationship stress, stuff like that, um, that all correlate kind of into one, you know, big thing. And then when these, these different stresses are placed on us, right, our body tends to adapt towards specific, these specific things. So <clears throat> for example, it's like, if I'm not, I'm not, I'm having a ton of anxiety, right? And I'm not able to sleep, right? So that stress from anxiety is hindering my ability to recover. So when I get on the mound, right, I'm not feeling the best and I continue to push it, continue not to listen to my body, continue to, you know, kind of overtrain. That's where you start kind of seeing, um, you know, downfalls within, you know, injury and in your movement capacity and just having, you know, connective tissue injuries and stuff like that. So, um, I think it's really important to kind of look at like, it's not just physical stress that's hurting us. It's also mental stress, you know, and people always think of like mental stress just as, you know, mental illness or anxiety, depression, stuff like that. Um, but I also do think they kind of go hand in hand together. It's like when you have a bad lifestyle, that lifestyle is going to manifest in physical form and that physical form likely will be, you know, an injury. So I think really honing in on, okay, what should my lifestyle be? And like, how should I, if I want to be an elite athlete, what's going to take me to the next level? What's going to um, have me, what's going to make me uh, be able to recover to the best of my ability and to bounce back from, you know, outing to outing or performance to performance, no matter what sport you play. Um, so I think that's really key in just understanding, like, it's not just physical things that's hurting us. It could be, you know, mindset limitations, having anxiety, not being able to sleep, right? Imposter syndrome, not liking yourself, not being okay with yourself, um, not being able to, to detach from, you know, certain results, stuff, stuff like that is, it's so important and it needs to be looked at more. And I definitely like to talk about that with, with the guys I train um, because it's so relevant within baseball. Baseball is always like a game of failure and, you know, it's, it fluctuates so much. It's not, it's not linear. So, um, it's really important to kind of like hone this in. I think it's one of the most important things to hone in before you start building a foundation of, you know, you know, physical movement and strength capacity. Um, so I, that's kind of what I think, I guess, regarding that. The, the biggest takeaway that people in my mind should take away from what you're saying is you, you were talking about the lifestyle. It's not always 
what the training is. Sometimes we get so caught up in what the movements are, what the exercises we're doing and like how that's going to be sport quote unquote sport specific and how that's going to fall into our, our performance on the mound. But when you, when you take a deeper look or really understand like what's happening, the performance, like you said, there's a ton of different stimulus or stimuli. Um, so if you're, if you're doing a great job in the weight room and you're doing all the perfect exercises, mm-hmm. quote unquote, perfect, that's cool. That's awesome. Good for you. Like you're going to gain a lot from that. But then when you go outside of, of the mound and outside of the training, that's also part of training. Like that's part of training. If you're, um, you know, sitting in, in class for the college guys or the high school guys and, and you're not taking anything in and you're just sitting there and, and thinking, you know, everything. And I'm saying this from experience, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm saying it because I've, I've done that. Um, you're, you're not going to get to where you want to go on the field because you're training the wrong processes. You're training that you already know, and you don't need to learn any further, but if you can train off the field, like if you're in class and you're learning and you're learning and you're constantly bettering yourself, then when it comes to the field, when it comes to the weight room, that's a process that's already been put in place. And that's something you're already accustomed to. So there's, there's no need to change who you are. It's just who you are. And you're going to continually get better, whether it's in that sport or outside of that sport. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, in how, you, you know, the biggest factors that you use to overcome the injuries that you've had. Exactly. Yeah, I think for me, it was a lot of, um, I guess, mindset. This caters well, I guess, to my experience, just because I don't think it was necessarily physical. Um, so, you know, I had a ulnar nerve transposition my senior year of high school. So that sidelined me going into college. Um, and then re- I redshirted my freshman year. And then after that freshman year, uh, that summer I was training, I, tore, I had a posterior tear in my labrum. Um, so two bigger injuries that just like back to back which just sucked. Right. So I decided not to go back to college just because I wanted to, you know, rehab train, um, here closer to the cities, just get some better, you know, physical therapy, um, and just be closer to family. But I think like setting aside the physical things, I think the biggest part was the mental side and kind of tapping into who I wanted to be as a athlete and as a person. Um, I was going to make a video on this, uh, last night. Um, and it was because I, I was asked a question on one of my Q&As, like, do I recommend any mindset cues or strategies um, that have helped me? And this is actually a perfect time to talk about that. But um, yeah, like one of the biggest things was cognitive reframing. And that's kind of like a technique in where you're changing um, the way you perceive a specific environment um, or situation. So for so long, like, I, w- I had a lot of performance anxiety, right? So, and, and this performance anxiety like led me to not recover well and I wasn't sleeping well, right? And eventually I got hurt, like what we just talked about. And so cognitive reframing is pretty much like shaping your thoughts and neural pathways in your brain um, so you can think a different way for a specific emotional or behavioral response. Um, and so I like to think about this as like walking in the woods, right? When you walk in the woods, you'll have these really nice, accessible, well-defined trails, right? And, you know, they'll be taken care of. And then you'll have these smaller trails that kind of branch off when they're not as accessible, they're not as nice, right? And they kind of come and go. I like to think about, okay, so these these big trails are like your set neural pathways in your brain, 
um, that have built up throughout your like development as a human being. So throughout your different perspectives, thought processes, opinions, interactions with different people, um, these neuropathways kind of send signals and make you who you are. And then you'll have these smaller ones, right, that are kind of forming what, what where are, they're more like intrusive thoughts and they're thoughts that kind of come and go, right? And so I like to say it's like you get to pick the trail you walk on. You can you can go walk on these negative neuropathways. You can walk on these negative trails, right? And But what happens when you walk on those more and more, right? They become more accessible and they become more integrated within your actual mind and your actual thought, day-to-day thought process. Or you could go, you know, choose these more positive um, trails to walk on, these more positive neuropathways to walk on um, and, and form. And those can lead you to your goals. These can lead you to, you know, better outcomes, better, better situations for yourself. And it's all about like catering to your strengths rather than your weaknesses. So this was like something that was huge for me and just kind of looking at it in that way, um, I think is so important because like oftentimes when people talk about neuropathways, it's like so complex for people to understand. Whereas like, if you just talk about it, like, okay, the more you think one thought, the more that thought's going to become relevant within your brain in day-to-day life. So I think like for me, I was always like after my surgery, I was always very scared to you know get hurt. And that led to more of like an avoidance thought process, which led me to walk on these more negative paths and cater to, towards more of my weaknesses. Because when I got hurt, I was like, dang, like, like I'm weak right now. Like I, I can't handle this. Like my body physically can't handle this and it's taking its, this stress out and, and sidelining me. And so I think getting away from that avoidance thought process and, and kind of just reframing my mind into a way where it's like, I know my body's resilient. I know my body's adaptable. I know like if I place a, an amount of stress on my body, like it will adapt and it will change. And I think like the biggest thing for me was like forcing adaptation within my strength capacity and, and movement capacity. So, and that, and, I think that can kind of comes from like putting yourself into extreme ranges of motion. And like, I made a post on this, like a five minute ISO hold the other day. It's like, um, you know, the more you avoid something, you know, the more that thing probably will manifest within your life. Um, hence injury. And I think it's really important to, you know, just like make your body resilient physically and your, and mentally and reframing your mind can do that. And, um, that can that really helped me kind of deal with adversity and and going through like the injury and kind of getting into a better thought process so when i healed i was in a better place to kind of build my foundation you talking about the the pathways you're going to download that clip you're definitely going to use that in your instagram content and some at some point i i can even envision it now it's going to be like it might be a video background video of you like having having the the pathways and they're getting beaten down and then there's different trails that aren't i can see it right now it's it's going to be sick when it comes out but um yeah I, I wanted to i wanted to add on that because that pathway thing really yeah. got me thinking um and kind of mindset but but yeah i mean more philo- like kind of philosophy or mindset but right if you're walking so we get in these spaces sometimes where we walk down those paths i'm going to say the beaten ones that you're talking about and we get like, we get, we're, we're constantly walking down these paths and they're bringing us to the same place. And then sometimes we're like, yo, why are we in the same place? But 
it's because we're walking down the same path and it's obviously going to take us to the same place. But when there's, when we're able to walk down the path, that's, that's less beaten down, it's going to bring us to a different place. So maybe that place is going to be the place of better performance. So that's kind of the same thing of always learning and, and always experimenting in the gym. Sometimes you're going to take a path that's less traveled, but maybe it's going to bring you to a place that's better. Maybe not, but I mean, there's always a chance. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to, and now that we're talking about content, I, I wanted to yeah. get your, your, not your background, but just what made you start creating content and um, you know, how long have you been doing code the throw? Yeah. So code the throw, I, I first started out as GW pitching. So it was just Griffin with a pitching that I started out in college. I just started making videos of, I guess, training and, and stuff like that. And just kind of documenting, I was working with tread at, at the time. So I was just kind of documenting my lifts. I wasn't really even sharing my opinions or like the way I thought my, my thought processes on, on training. I was literally just filming what I was doing on a day-to-day basis. And I felt like that was a solid outlet for me. That also kind of helped me through my rehab pro- process through uh, college. Like I could kind of always like look forward to making those. And I'd always loved like making content. I started GW pitching and then through the summer kind of transitioned. Like I started sharing a little bit more of like my opinions. And, you know, I, I think people liked to kind of hear that. I got some good positive inter- interaction on those posts. Um, and then I kind of like really started falling in love with player development and like athletic performance and like really getting into deep, like performance optimization, stuff like that. And so I I knew I like eventually wanted to like go into the field and try to start a business or a remote training service. And so I, but I knew I needed to, like, I wanted to transition my name. I didn't want my name into it. Like, I, I feel like there's so many guys, no hate to anybody out there, but like, so many guys have throwing accounts with their names in it. And it's like, I wanted to kind of differentiate, uh, make myself a little bit different and, um, you know, a little bit more unique of a name. So, um, yeah, I came up with code the throw and that was it. So I have a twin brother and we were kind of like sitting down in the basement one night and I was like, I was kind of stressing because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to call like my training. Like what, I don't want to call it like, some whack name that's just like so basic right i want something cool and so he's a film photographer and this is so weird but he's a film photographer and he had this like big kodak film sign in his room so we're just chilling down in his room one night we're like scheming for names and then he said like kodak throw and when he said that code the throw popped right into my name my head and then i was like dude that makes so much sense too because like when I think about training, it's like everything's an input right into our body, into our strength capacity, into our movement capacity, or even into our mindset, right? Everything's a, a stimulus, everything's an input, and we're training for specific adaptations. That's what, you know, a sports specificity is. It's training for the demands of sport, training um, for movement qualities and biomechanics within our sport. And um, so I think that like kind of goes hand in hand because at the end of the day, like what we're doing in the gym is li- we're literally programming, we're literally coding who we are as human beings and our movement capacity and, and the way, um, we perceive strength, um, you know, as an individual. And I think, I think that's like so important and it like stuck with me so well. I was like, dude, I don't think I'm going to find another better name than this. And it wasn't taken like 
it was great. So um, I kind of went with that. And that's kind of like the background of my name is like everything we do, like outside of the field is is coding for performance. Like we're, we're coding to become, you know, the best, the most resilient, the most adaptable athlete we can for sport and for our performance um, to perform at the highest level. So that's kind of like where I got the name. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I've been, I've been doing this for, you know, almost, almost two years now, just kind of like really going into programs and, and like looking into performance optimization and human anatomy. I, I'm almost at a year of like tr- training people remotely. I've been doing personal training also in person. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of that as like my main job. I work at a gym, but, um, yeah, the remote training's almost a year old, so it will be in, in October. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love, I've been loving it. You know, it's, it's been a great time and just like working with different types of athletes, creating different programs and, um, you know, the movement assessment part has been great. Just like learning how to evaluate different movement capacities and different limitations within each athlete, because everybody's different. So it's, it's really cool to kind of work with, um, different guys and, and communicate, communicate with different guys and, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward for, Let's go. for the year. Yeah, come, so, so I'm, I'm confused now. I don't know where to go with the next question because we were talking about business. So I wanted to, to talk about how you were a better businessman because of baseball and then also how, you know, you're a, you're a better – wait, I said how you become a better businessman because of baseball and then how you became a better baseball player because of being – something along those lines. But – then you also said, you know, not one size fits all. And that's something that I wanted to talk about yeah. too. So where do you want to go with this? Which one we're going to hit on both, but which one do you want to talk about first? I think like the one size fits all personally, like yep. I think the business part, I'll hit on the business card part really quick. I think like I haven't played in a while just because of injuries. So I, I can't really say, I, I don't think it's yep. made me a better baseball player. I'm sure it has made some people, but I think it has made me a little bit better with like communication and, you know, optimizing like my workload and my workflows, um, especially like with student athletes, you know, like not a lot of them, like it's hard for them to, you know, optimize their workflows and um, get a lot of stuff done because their schedules are packed. And so I think what it's really taught me is to like being smart and, and with how I communicate with athletes and for, for business standpoints and, um, kind of scaling my business as well. And I think that teaches you so much just even outside of athletics and for general life, that's so important. Um, but I wouldn't really say like, I, I, I think it for sure has made me a better athlete for within like athletic performance. Um, I don't really know how it carries over to baseball yet because I've been out of the game for a while. So sure. um, can't really give you my, my full opinion there, but um, it's a great, it's a great, a great question, but um, I definitely think, you know, it, it helps you kind of, you know, within business, you always have fluctuations as well. So especially like baseball, it's like, it's, you're going to have really good months where you're getting a lot of business and then you'll have some bad slower months. Like this last month, every, a lot of guys going back to school, usually harder for some remote, you know, coaches. So, you know, it's, it's, it's helpful in navigating that part, um, through, you know, fluctuations and, in you know, navigating funds and uh, financials and stuff like that. So, but yeah, that's pretty much all I got on, on that one, but I'd love to talk about the uh, individualization. That's, 
something I, I really like talking about. Um, for like my movement screening, where, where, what do you want to kind of like know for first? Yeah, wherever you want to take this, I just, I just want to get your thoughts on not one size fitting all with, with throwing. And um, I know there's, you know, some places out there that, right, they have a certain, certain, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to say checkpoints, like when you go through a, a throwing assessment or a movement screen, with a movement screen, I feel, screen, I feel like it's a little different um, because you're kind of getting a baseline for everybody. But, you know, some some performance places out there have, it's not a one size fit all, but they have certain checkpoints they look for and they kind of want everyone to to be similar in the way they go about their delivery. Um, but when, when looking through your content last night, I, I saw a post that was talking about um, not one size fitting all. And I just want, you know, more your take on in the throwing motion, you know, can there be sometimes where maybe the guy doesn't have a great hinge or he doesn't have great, he doesn't have great separation, but he still is able to produce and, and, and throw well. For the individualization part, like I'll, when a guy comes to me, I'll have them go through a movement assessment. And this is just kind of like base baseline movements I've created. Um, it'll probably be, it, it's going to look different toward like compared to like, I guess like a bigger facility, I guess, movement assessment. A lot of those, they do like functional movement screens and I'm not a huge uh, fan of those just because yeah. it's not very versatile and it's not. I, I don't think it's it's a great way to like I guess look at movement. It's very it's not as like active. Whereas like the movements I kind of implement within my screen are gonna be you know bridges, thrower stretch, st stuff like that. Um, like elevated deep ISO push ups, scap ups. Seeing how like the scaps move yep. and how your spine you know laterally flex and bends and extends and stuff like that. Um, and so I'll I'll grade the screen, go through all that look up look at their movement quality and stuff like that and then i like to create like a needs analysis uh for each program and for each person i program for so um that will like consist of sitting down talking with them on the phone um just kind of going over their story right because it's super important and their background and like what they've went through the last year and what they want to work on and what they feel like they want to work on I think like I'm a big believer, uh, the athletes, their best coach, um, there no external presence, no external presence, um, is going to be, you know, a better coach than the athlete, I think. And, and then teaching them that because a lot of times when the athlete comes to me, they don't, they don't believe that. And I think it's really important to kind of instill that into them, um, that like they can understand their throw and they can understand their training on a deeper level to help them. And a lot of guys like, don't like to go there because they are afraid of getting like domed up. And I think that comes with also like a maturity level is like, okay, knowledge isn't the thing that's going to dome, dome you up. You are. And being able to hone that knowledge and being able to hone that information to make yourself better is so important. And that's something like I really believe in and implementing with my athletes is like, I want them to become um, their best coach. So, because at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones on the mound I'm not going to be there with them, right? I'm not going to be able to tell them what to do. It's like, they're going to be the ones competing. So I want them to be able to fall back on themselves and, you know, be okay. So, um, yeah, we'll create like a needs analysis going over their story and, and kind of going over who they're, who they are and what they want to do. And then from like the movement screen, I'll, I'll develop like the mobility and, and then also look at like their lifting assessment. So, um, with the individualization part, 
and in the throwing part, I'll pick out um, specific throwing drills uh, that I utilize and implement um, that will work on, you know, specific things uh, within their um, sequencing and mechanics. So like, for example, if they struggle with, you know, disassociating the pelvis from the torso, I'll have them work on, you know, a lasso drill and, and really emphasizing um, that hip internal rotation, clearing the hips at front foot strike um, to effectively block around the lead leg. Um, and then within their lifts, I'd probably program more of like a split squat with a contralateral load, um, working on, you know, the hip internal rotators um, and stabilizing those hip internal rotators making adaptations within those adducting muscles, which are super important um, within, you know, hip internal rotation and, and being able to clear the hips um, into front foot strike within throwing development. So I think that's kind of like just an example of kind of what I do um, lifting wise. Obviously, there's there's also guys out there that sometimes need to like work on similar things. Um, and, you know, the, sometimes there is a thing called like over individualization, whereas like, you want to make sure the athletes getting proper stimulus, especially in their lifts. So it's like, you can go super sport specific and do these lower stimulus, you know, movements or lower stimulus lifts. Right. But are you going to truly be getting a lot out of that for the specific adaptation you want? And that's something that's really important to, to look at and kind of go over and communicate with your athlete. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, there is no one size fits all. And I, for the throwing part, I love to preach. It's like, I don't want you to be repeatable. I want you to be adaptable. And I think that's the most important thing I like to preach within the throwing part of my programming. It's so many pitching coaches just talk about repeating your mechanics, repeating your mechanics, but you know, sport is such an extreme. It's, it's an unknown and being adaptable is probably a lot more efficient than being repeatable. Whereas like you can effectively throw in any position possible and, um, you know, being effective and efficient in and out of those positions is so important within sport. And I think it makes throwers that much better. And I think there's a stigma that has been developed, you know, over, over, um, you know, the last 10, you know, 20 years that, you know, pitchers aren't athletes and that it couldn't be farther from the truth. Like throwing a baseball at 90 to hundred miles an hour is the most violent thing the human body can do. So I think, and it's got to be one of the most athletic things the human body can do. And so I think, you know, saying that pitchers aren't athletes, it's, it's so far from the truth. And I think the stigma there is like, once you become a Poe, you become, you know, unathletic and you're not hitting, you're not fielding, which is true. You're not getting those stimuluses in practice. So like, for example, on my like light recovery days, I won't really do much, you know, stationary throwing. I'll do a ton of you know, athletic throwing drills to really teach myself to become adaptable throughout different ranges of motion and different positions. So if those, you know, ever come in game, or if those ever come in game for my guys, right, they're able to effectively get outs and they're able to effectively execute for their team. So that's kind of like how I think about, you know, the strength mobility in throwing is I want to build adaptable, resilient athletes and overhead athletes. And that's, that's kind of my goal you know, I think a lot of facilities do a great job, like tread athletics, driveline, you know, X2 baseball, push performance, they all do great jobs. But, um, you know, I think the adaptable part needs to be preached on a little bit more, especially for these throwing athletes, because I think a lot of times, you know, we're so confined into one little box. Um, and I think it should just be, you know, it should be different. <laughs>
I'm all on board with that. I mean, what happens when you're when you're at a game and okay, now it's now it's 85 degrees, so you're a little bit more fatigued, so you don't feel as good, so maybe you your mobility changes or um, you know, something within your nervous system is is thrown off, so you're not feeling optimal and you need to be able to adapt and and still perform to your to your highest potential. Maybe it's going to be a different potential than if things were perfect and ideal, but you still need to figure out a way to get it done. Um, maybe you step on the mound and there's a hole in the mound. Okay. So now your mechanics are going to be a little off because maybe your ankle is now rotated a little bit in, in a different space than it would before. And you can't get as much external rotation with your hip or something along those lines. I don't know exactly what it might be. It could change every mound or maybe the mound is moving and you're slipping. So you can't block as well. Like something is, it's not always going to be MLB mounds for, for the majority of the guys, especially in Minnesota, Vermont, we're not getting good mounds. The snow just came off the mound. So you're going to have to figure out a way how to, how to throw the baseball, right? There's, you get on the mound, they just shoveled the snow off and now there's a hole in the landing spot. So, okay. So are you, are we just going to go home? Like we have to figure out a way how to throw hard and throw strikes. So like you're saying, adaptability, adjusting to whatever we have to offer sometimes. And this is more in life and in baseball. We, we don't, we, we, we just have to play with what we're dealt, right? We can't, we can't control everything, but we can control how we respond to it. So I love that adaptability um, perspective that you come in with and, and it's awesome and, and it is different and it's new and it's different and, it, and it's going to help a lot of people. So I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, you were able to teach me that and, and I'm, I'm learning a lot. So yeah, I want to keep this rolling. And, and as we're talking about learning, I just, I just want you to talk about, you know, your, your desire, your desire to learn because it's pretty clear. And I want you to tell, you know, the younger athletes, how, how this has helped you in all aspects of life, not just baseball. Going back to what I said earlier, a lot of a lot of guys are like afraid to learn, I feel like, like especially in baseball, because I think, you know, I've seen a few posts out there um, from some people. It's like like telling your athletes to be dumb and stuff. And like when competition rolls around, it's like, yeah, you want your mind blank. You want to be able to access a flow state. You want to be able to, you know, lock in. But like outside of that, I think it's so important to kind of know why you're doing something and understanding why you're doing it on a deeper level, because that's going to create intention and that's going to create buy into, you know, the exercise or the program. So um, when you have both those things, you know, the program's going to work when you don't have those things, like you could have the best program in the world, but you know, if the athlete's not buying in, if the athlete doesn't have intention with it, that program's likely not going to get a lot of results with that athlete. Um, so I think, yes, learning is is number one. I think one of the most important things an athlete can do for themselves, um, just understanding, you know, first of all, you can understand, you know, basic human movement and biomechanics, and then you can understand the throw you can understand certain lifts, right? What what lift is doing what? What muscles are we working? Um, what are we getting out of this? Um, and once you start kind of understanding all those things, it, it makes your training a lot more efficient, right? You can start to make you can start to cater your training towards your specific needs or the things you really want to focus on instead of kind of like aimlessly just walking into the gym and doing something with no intention and, and you know no idea what you're doing, right? So. I think, you know, there's a stigma where, you know, people have created, it's, 
within baseball, it's like you, you, the more, you know, the more easily you're domed up. And that's not true. Again, it comes with maturity and, and you just got to know like, okay, this is the time to learn and this is the time to compete. And I think that's a, that's a huge thing for guys. Um, for me, it's like, I really started just trying to learn through, you know, specific books, one book that like, I'd really recommend. I don't know if you've read it. It's about epigenetics and it's called you are the placebo uh, by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And it's unreal. Like it completely shifted, like how I viewed my, my body and my mind and the power of thought and the power of knowledge and, and, and um, kind of putting those things to work in your day-to-day life. Um, and epigenetics, it's just the study of um, how environment dictates gene and cell function, how cells and genes change, you know, due to specific thoughts, um, environments, actions, etc. So um, that's, that's a solid book that I, I really, really liked reading and that I learned a ton about, especially from, you know, mindset, you got something? <laughs> Yeah, you just you just ruined the rapid fire questions. The first question is, "What's your favorite book?" So, no, you can you can you can use that again. You only you only ruined one. Yeah, just like reading a lot and then like going. I love doing like a, a lot of PubMed articles, a lot of research that's out there. Driveline has a ton of really good research, um, and then just connecting, man, like connecting with different people in the industry, connecting with different coaches. You know, every other, like every coach I've connected with, they're all trying to learn. They're all in the, like, kind of the same spot. They're all trying to get to the next level within their coaching development. And I think that's so important. It's like, never stop learning. Like, you need to be a lifelong learner to be good at this. Like, once you stop learning, that's when I think you really regress because, you know, there's always going to be new things coming out and there's always going to be people learning more and more. And discovering more and more about, you know, throwing, about lifting, about, you know, mobility, about development, programming, whatever it is. And I think it's so important to just constantly learn no matter what and just kind of be on fire for that. Um, and, you know, reading, there's so much information, dude, there's so much free information out there. And, you know, everybody asks me, like, why aren't, why, why am I, not, why haven't I gone back to school and stuff? And, you know, I'm not a huge school guy, to be honest, like that's, that's just me. And there's no problem with school. I think, you know, degrees are great. And, and, you know, if you need it, go and get it. But um, I do think there's like a stigma is like, you have to go to college to learn something. And I, that couldn't be further from the truth. So much information out there. And I feel like just kind of throwing myself in the fire and, and, you know, working with, you know, clients one-on-one that, I wouldn't have been able to do in college, right? That's just given me so much experience and so much um, opportunity to problem solve and, and critical think and, you know, solve these problems for these athletes, um, which is so important. And I think that kind of gives, that's given me a little bit of an edge um, just with just like training in general and programming in general. Um, but I definitely think it's like, there's so much information out there. So if you think you're like confined to go to a four-year school, you're not like, if you want to learn something, you can hundred percent learn, learn that thing without paying, you know, 60 grand for tuition. So I think that's another like really important aspect. Um, obviously not telling kids to go, not go to college, but th- there is other ways to learn things. And there's, yeah. if you really want it, and if you really want to um, dive deep into and go into the rabbit holes and, and search for these answers, like you can find them and you just got to look hard enough and, you know, you got to be, you know, 
ready to learn and, and constantly learning. So that's kind of like my thought process on, on learning. It's just, you, you always got to constantly adapt just like in throwing, right? You never know what life's going to throw at you. So, um, the more you learn, the more you're ready for it. And I think, you know, just questioning everything's uh, another big one. It's like no answers in absolute, right? We like, I feel like human beings, like we know very little in the broad scheme of things. Like we've been on this earth for however long, right? And there's been millions and millions of years before us and there's millions and billions of miles of universe out, out there. So it's like, we think we know so much, but we probably really know very little. And so I think there, the surface is very untapped and um, it will be interesting within like the next 10, 20 years to see like what stuff comes out just regarding like training and regarding athletic performance and um, you know, performance optimization. I'm excited for it. So. Yeah, it'll, it'll be sweet. And, and one of the things that I have recently talked about and thought about is actually one of my, earlier episodes on the podcast just where I do kind of my thoughts of the day but it was just being an idiot like I always call I always call my younger cousins idiots just as a joke like I'm like you're such an idiot and and they'll say it to me but but I'm actually starting to understand and and actually think that it's it might be a good thing to be an idiot like you, you need to know that you have no idea what's going on so I'm starting to see a different perspective on the word idiot and, and kind of embracing that because I feel like like it's 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 good to be. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. You don't have to call it an idiot or fool or whatever, but it's good to be that dude who who thinks that they don't really know anything because there's so much like everywhere you look, then there's an opportunity to to learn something new and an opportunity to just level yourself up. So, yeah. Um kind of uh switching topics here but this is kind of this will bring us into our last kind of topic area of the day and and maybe you don't have a lot of experience with this i know that you working with with high school and and um you know older guys but uh one thing that i'm curious about is is your thoughts on just showcase baseball travel ball baseball with kids maybe not taking it as serious for, for instance, if it's a fall baseball, sometimes kids are only throwing once a week and then they're going to their fall ball games and throwing seven innings. Just what are your thoughts on that? And, and, you know, is there an age that's, that's too young to be playing year round? Like we got a lot of nine and 10 year olds now with accessibility to travel teams, regardless of what the season is. And so they're Mm -hmm. just throwing year round. And, and, you know, do you think that that's, that's a detriment. Do you think that that has some benefits and, and, you know, how do we, how do we cope with this changing youth baseball landscape? Yeah, I think it, I, I guess it, it can be both and it's just matters. Like what's, what's the prescription, like how much, like how much is the workload for the kid? Um, you know, I think like the biggest thing, especially at these young ages and I'll, I'll go into the showcasing after yep. this, but just parents and coaches like learning how to manage workload for their kids and actually like caring about it because um you know like you shouldn't have a catcher catch you know four or five innings and then go immediately pitch right it's it's just not effective and it's not going to be good for them it's a lot of stress right and you're not going to also pitch a kid back-to-back days so i think yeah just for the for the parents and coaches because kids really 
at that age, they're not going to really know a difference, right? They're just playing. They're just having fun, which is, which is great. But I think the parents and the coaches definitely have a say in that. And um, it's, it's definitely for, for the parents, like they need to continue to watch out for coaches, you know, abusing arms and stuff like that. Um, I do also think there's benefits to playing year round. Obviously it's like, you're getting a lot of throwing workload in throughout the course of that year. And that can, you know, create some solid adaptations as you develop and as you grow older, you know, I also think it's important for some kids to experiment with multi-sports and getting different like stimuluses in, um, at that young age. Like, I don't really think there should be a reason for, you know, a nine-year-old playing year round. Um, I think once you get 13, 14, like that's a good age to really start, you know, playing year round and, and attacking it that way. But Otherwise, like at that young of an age, I think it's really important to get quality stimulus into um, the individual's movement capacity and and um, kind of putting them in different environments, different sport environments, um, because there's so much research out there that's shown like kids who have played multi sports growing up, um, you know, have become better athletes due to, you know, experiencing these different environments rather compared to kids who are just playing one sport. And I'm not saying like one specializing in one sports bad, like that's what I did. I specialized really early. Um, but since I specialized really early, I wish I probably could go back and play hockey a little bit longer and kind of re- reap the adaptations from that sport, because I, I definitely think it would have made me a little bit more athletic and a little bit more versatile rather than just, you know, honing in on one thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely think, yeah, workload can just be tracked by coaches, parents, um, keeping it simple too. It's just like, if a kid's throwing too much, like don't throw them often. It's, it's, it's simple. It's, and it sometimes gets to, these coaches become greedy, especially in these tournaments and stuff. So, um, which is too bad, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that's something to be talked about more, uh, especially within these younger ages, because you yeah. see a lot of these teams, you know, it's, yeah getting a little bit out of hand and um, you know, some parents just need to realize, okay, what's the best for your kid development wise? Because I think they just kind of think um, long run in that short term. It's like they think their kid's going to be, you know, a division one baseball player and he very well could be, but you run him in the ground, he's probably not going to be. So I think it's really important to kind of like prioritize development rather than, um, you know, just throwing crap out of your kid and then, um, having him get hurt, right. Throw him in different environments, have him get really athletic, um, you know, moving around different, different joint angles, different changes of direction, different like sports stimulus, I think is so important and just developing a better, more athletic movement capacity. And then for the showcases, I think I do have like a stance on this. I think it's like, go to a showcase if you have the engine, right? Like if you have something to showcase, I think you should go to the showcase, but if you have no, nothing to showcase, I think it's just, you're wasting your money. Um, so if you're like, you know, if you're 14 throwing 82 to 85, it's like, yes, go, go to a showcase. If you're 14 throwing harder than that, go to a showcase. Right. Um, and go get seen because that's your, your elite at, at your age level. Um, but I also think it's like for the guys, you know, that, aren't throwing that hard, but they just want to go because their buddies are going and they just want to say they just went to a showcase. It's just a waste of money. And you should, you should probably just be putting that money towards training and developing your engine and developing your foundation. So you can kind of form yourself into somebody who has something to showcase 
and then you can go, you know, play in front of schools, play in front of scouts, whatever it is, um, and get seen. But I think that's really important, especially growing up for me. It's like, I, I felt like always pressured by like my friends because they're always going to these showcases and stuff. And at the end, of, at the end of the day where I got seen was Twitter. <laughs> so it's like, I didn't even have to pay for that. So, um, you know, there's so many other platforms out there too. Nowadays, like, yeah, these showcases are probably good to get some experience in front of scouts and, and being comfortable in front of scouts, which, which, which is good. But I also think like, if you're good enough, you're going to get seen, you're going to get found. And, um, you kind of just got to work, I think, for the athlete, instead of like worrying about what's the next showcase I'm going to do, it's like worry about your development, worry about where you're at, be honest with yourself um, and, you know, make a plan to develop into the person, into the athlete you want to be. <clears throat> Interesting that, you know, there's there's many ways to, to skin the cat. You specialized a little bit early in baseball. I played hockey, soccer and baseball all the way through mm-hmm. high school, um, you know. And, and I'm from a tiny, I have 700 people in my town. Um, so like, if you're good enough, you'll be seen. Um, I only went to one showcase. It was 25 bucks and it was in Vermont and that's where I got offers from. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you gotta, the first thing is the first thing is be good, like be good. And then, and then worry about being seen. Um, so, and I'm not saying that my way is the right way, you know, for a long time I thought, Oh, like everyone should not play baseball year round. Everyone should do it this way. But I mean, it, it's gonna, it's, it comes down to everyone else, everyone else's capabilities, their resources yeah. and, and where they live and their opportunities. So it, there is no one right way, but if you are good, you'll be found. That's the one right way is you get good and then you'll be found going off of that. We were talking about having kids play multiple sports especially with the landscape that I'm seeing in today's society um, because not, not only baseball is year round now, now hockey's year round now, soccer's year round. So it's like now, now there's no seasons. There is no more, there's no longer seasons. There's no longer fall spring and there's no baseball season anymore. It's just kind of like, it's all constantly this one season. Like you just are playing hockey, baseball and soccer at the same time. So I would definitely Again, I'm not a parent, so there's no way for me to know what it's like. And I know the parents are just trying to do what they can for their kids and allow them to be the best people that, that their their kids can be. Just understand that if your son or, or your daughter is going to a hockey practice and then maybe a soccer game and then doing baseball practice at night, the central nervous system is going to be very fatigued and that can make changes, right? It can make changes to your delivery. It can make changes to um, how you're throwing the ball and put access stress on your shoulder, on your elbow. So you have to take into account that it like, it's an injury. It's an injury kind of waiting to happen. If you're so fatigued, it's not just, Oh, well, he hasn't thrown today. Okay. Well, but his, his muscles and his body are fatigued. And that's from experience. I can tell you that I overworked myself. And when I got to throwing, it was like, I was drained and, and throwing and it didn't, the ball was not coming out well, but not only was the ball not coming out well, I was putting myself at injury risk. And then guess what? First outing of the year, I couldn't handle it. Boom. See ya like eight innings on the year. So, um, just, you know, be aware of, of the, the extra things that 
the practices are bringing to your kids. It's not just the throwing, it's, it's the CNS getting taken down, um, or, or getting overworked. Sorry. Um, yeah, so that's, that's all I got. I think that was really good to give parents some, some information. And, and I just want to go over the rapid fire questions with you before, before we wrap up. So I'm just going to ask a question and you'll give a quick answer to it. So you already gave favorite book. You ruined that one. Um, so we'll do the next one. We'll go favorite memory from no, you're good. We'll go favorite memory from baseball and outside of baseball. I think for baseball, it had to be junior college going to Memphis, Tennessee, uh, with, with, the, with the boys. So those bus rides are all so fun. So that's, that's definitely, yeah. that was a nice trip. That was like my, one of my first yeah. big trips with, as like a college baseball player. And then what was the, what was the la- next one? Sorry. Just a memory from outside baseball. Yeah. Outside baseball. Um, ooh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I have so many memories. <laughs> um, I'd say probably like it could be anything too. I'd say my brother's wedding was, was super fun. Like that was, that yep. was like, I got to see a ton of family and um, you know, that was like the first time, like all of our family was in like, for a, for a while, all of our family was in like one big place and it was a good time. So that was like two years yeah. ago, but that was a really that's fun memory. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a great memory to have. Um, I'm sure that'll stick with you for the rest of your life too. So um, have you ever been in flow state and can you describe it? Yeah, I think flow states like it's tapping into your mind when everything kind of is working together. Um, so you're not too aroused and um, you're also not too calm, right? Everything's kind of like at this median. Um, and I've, I've for sure been there probably a few times. I sometimes get there like in my lifts too. Like when you have those certain lifts where it's like, you're not looking at your phone, you're not looking at anything else. It's just like you do your set, you do your reps and then you, you move on and then you, you just keep banging that lift out. Um, but in baseball, for sure, it's like I've had a few instances where it's it's like you pick up your leg and you just release the ball, dude, and it goes exactly where you want. And you have so much confidence in who you are as, as a pitcher and you feel like untouchable. And I, I remember like a specific game. It's like I had this kid like last out and I was just like straddling the rubber. I was like, I'm just going to blow this by him. And just picked up my, picked up my leg, reached back and just blew it by him like high vert fastball or in like high and inside. And, um, yeah, that was like one experience. Like I just had like, I don't know what it was that day. It's just like some days you'll have it. And it's so weird because it's odd because like you, you'll, some days you'll like feel like crap and you'll have it and you'll pitch unbelievably. And then some days you'll like feel super good and, you don't find it and you, you absolutely blow it. So it's, there's not, not really an in between. Yep. So that's definitely something I'm looking at to like figure out how to like get there more. And I think that kind of goes into, you know, just tapping into your mind and, and who you are. So. <laughs> yeah. What is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow? I think, okay. I think sharing my opinions more on social media too is, is a big one. Um, just because I think there's like a stigma, especially since I'm a younger guy. And it's like, I, I know it's like, I'm constantly learning. So there's first, there's a ton of other people that know more than me. Um, 
but I do think like people want to hear your perspectives. And that's been something that's been a little bit uncomfortable for me, especially just getting used to making content and like releasing stuff and like doing remote training. Um, that's definitely something I want to, um, you know, get better at and, and not be as, I guess, few, I, I, I don't know the word. Um, I guess not feel not as pressured, um, doing it. Cause I feel like I sometimes put some pressure on myself to, you know, make this great post, but at the end of the day, it's like the more authentic you are, I think the more people will like you and you, and people aren't asking for perfection. So, um, there's a lot of people out there sharing content too. Um, yeah. and so I think just sharing my opinions more is, is something I definitely want to do and, and making more posts and better posts, I think. <clears throat> Yeah, and I'm, I don't usually touch on these, but I mean, that was a good point. So yeah. sometimes I, I give a little a little of my thoughts. And I I think, like you said, like the, the, more, the more genuine you are with your content, the more, the, the more you are portraying your experience and your journey, the more someone is going to be interested and intrigued by that because there's a sense of, non-perfection and and everyone understands that they're not perfect so when they see that in somebody else being vulnerable and they see that somebody else is is just putting what is honest to them out there that that kind of resonates with them and makes them feel uh more comfortable with that content mm -hmm. and um interact with it yeah, at a deeper level so so that was just my takeaway from there um but yeah what's your most valued non-material non-material possession like that's that's like so that can't be anything yep. um that can't be like anything material obviously so who give me like a good example of this i guess like can you give me a good example sure so you um yeah like a characteristic um of yourself or um you could have like uh a relationship to somebody or I'm trying to think of maybe like, you know, just, just, um, you know, the feeling you get when you're in nature, like something along those lines, like feelings, characteristics, not. Yeah, no. Okay. No, I, I get it. I, I for sure got one. I, um, so I'm, I'm a Christian. I, uh, gave my life to Christ when I was in high school and that, that has been something like really important to me. And I think like navigating, um, you know, my identity, um, within baseball, like for so long, my identity was in baseball. And I think that created a lot of like mindset restrictions and limitations and mental blocks and anxiety. And so I started to kind of shift my identity away from baseball and into Jesus Christ. And that was something that was just like, like what, what you're saying, it's more, it's like a relationship. It's, it's more constant. It doesn't fluctuate. And so that's something that I definitely, I, that's like a prized possession to me is, um, it's one of the biggest values of my life is it's like, I'm not trying to glorify myself and my own, you know, validation or my own results. I'm trying to glorify his kingdom. Um, I don't know if you're religious or anything, but, um, that's definitely like something that has kind of resonated with me, just non-materialistic, I guess. Um, just navigating my life has been super important and it, it, it it creates like a really nice like moral standard for you to just to like follow and 
like hold yourself accountable on that. Um, I think it's super important for me. Um, obviously other people have their different preferences, which is totally okay. So, um, but yeah, that's for sure, for sure what I'd pick. <laughs> Got it. Sweet. Uh, something you often forget you're grateful for. Ooh, grateful for, um, I'd say like, honestly, the ability to like express, um, like my thoughts, you know, and like freedom, like freedom of speech, to be honest, like, to be honest with you, it's like, I feel like that's so like looked over, overlooked, um, like being the ability to like, literally I can get on my phone, write up a post and that can reach thousands of people. And I think that's something that's so cool. And I often kind of just take a little for granted and like, I don't really, I guess, realize exactly sometimes like what you actually have in your hand and like how that can connect you to so many different things and different networks. So I think like the ability to like express yourself and express your freedom and, and what you believe in and um, just specific opinions you have is, is so important. And um, it makes everybody like an individual and makes everybody that like their own person. So if like we didn't have that, everybody would be, you know, the same, it'd be dystopian. So I think um, like, that's definitely a value I, I should be grateful for more. I think, I think I just overlook it. Um, last one is advice to your five-year-old self. I think this one, like, don't care what other th people think because growing up, like I had a hard time, especially like since I started baseball late, you know, I had some experiences with just like some bad teammates and like, I get some shit and, and stuff like that. But, um, I think like if nobody's speaking relevance into your life, um, they're not speaking as a positive influence in your life. Um, don't like take what they say with a grain of salt. Like don't get, like, you don't need to care what they, like they think it, their opinion does not matter. Um, the people you hold close to you, like the people that mentor you, the people that's constantly speak in your life is that's the opinion you should, um, really value and you should really think of hard and long about, um, and that, that should dictate, you know, your, your thoughts, your actions and your feelings. Um, and that also kind of goes into, I guess, my relationship with Christ is, um, you know, he is who I, who, he is who I say, I can't even say this now. It's a, it's a specific quote, but he is who he says I am. And, um, it's like a tongue twister, dude, but, um, no, I think it's like the biggest, yep. like the most important part about that is like, God knows who I am. God knows my heart and he knows like my plan and, and the life that I'm going to live. And I should be going to him for his approval, not other people's approval and not the world's approval. Um, so that's definitely something that's kind of like helped me within that area. Um, just kind of navigating and for myself. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome. Well, now I just want to have time for you to tell people where they can reach you. Yeah. So and how they can uh, get a hold of you. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram code, the throw, um, just C O D E T H E T H R O W. And then on Twitter code, the throw as well. Um, those are pretty much the two platforms I'm on. I was posting on TikTok, but I can't stand that app anymore. <laughs> so I'm just mainly on Instagram and Twitter now. Um, I'm on X as well. So 
Um, a lot of my followers kind of carried over for that. So um, if you guys want to find me on there, uh, give me a follow, shoot me a DM. If you guys have any questions, would love to talk, would love to connect to, to anyone. So, yeah, well, thanks Griffin for coming on the show and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you later. And, and thanks for listening. I appreciate it, dude. Thank you for having me. Keep, keep killing it. Keep killing the game. I, I love the content. I'll continue to, we'll continue to connect.